A spontaneous and unrehearsed interview. Welcome to Curiosityness, the podcast where we talk about stuff that you might be curious about. Uh, I just made up that tagline. My name's Travis DeRose. I'm the host. Welcome to episode 53. I got on Jonathan Wilker this episode, and this may sound boring at first glance, but let me tell you, this stuff is so interesting, what Jonathan is doing. Like, you just think adhesives, he's making adhesives, you know, using what what, uh, muscles and oysters are doing, like, who cares, sounds boring. It's the opposite of boring. It's so cool. Uh, I thought this episode would last maybe a half hour. We went for like an hour and 20 minutes because it's awesome. Uh, so I think if you just get in there and give it a chance, you're really going to love this. It's super interesting. Interesting. Jonathan has a great way of explaining things and, you know, making it fun and graspable and understandable for people who aren't, you know, in chemistry and chemistry majors. Uh, And especially when we get to the uses of how all of his different adhesives can work, like for biomedical stuff and like adhering a metal plate to bone, all this crazy stuff. Adhesives are everywhere. They're in plywood. They're super toxic. So he's also working to, you know, remove the toxicity of those and the carcinogens that, you know, is everywhere because plywood and everything is made out of uh, adhesive. It's 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 everywhere. So this is super important. It's crazy. I'm going to stop talking now and let's get to Jonathan Wilker. And boom, we're going. What's up, John? Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course, man. Stoked to talk to you. This is like uh, pretty interesting stuff. I mean, at first I was, you know, I, I, you know, saw what you were into. I'm like, glue, like really? But, <laughs> you know, I think it's because all, all I was thinking about was like the the glue aisle at Home Depot, you know, but it's like, (laughs) but when you really get to it, there's so many, it's like you, you talk about how much glue is used for everything from like manufacturing, you know, cars and plywood and everything. It's, it's It's everywhere, all, all around us. Just, just like sort of just turn your head around a room or anywhere you are outside and everything's held together with adhesives yeah yeah it's crazy stuff so yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> initially i was like okay whatever we'll try it but yeah it's it's pretty exciting when you really get into it it's it's awesome the stuff you're doing cool glad glad you think that <laughs> yeah. i look at these things a little bit differently now uh but yeah it's it's complete integral part of our lives and uh well we'll get into it but there's a lot of uh cool things a lot of new things you can do a lot of problems that the current materials are are causing and yeah there's there's tons we can we can talk about yeah yeah cool so let's get into it i mean let's let's just start with like you and your background and how this all got started so i guess if i want to really get down to it so if i'm like lying down on the couch you know tell me about your childhood kind <laughs> of thing. uh so it Things sort of started when I was a kid because my parents would bring me to the ocean a lot, and that and that's in um, the New England area. And they just sort of developed a, a love for the ocean in me. And okay, that's fine. Um, and then, <laughs> then I went to college, like you do, and I went to graduate school, just kind of a thing to do. And I, I ended up studying chemistry, um, not thinking about anything related to, you know adhesives or whatever just doing regular chemistry stuff right which on its own is is 
fascinating and, and I love that that kind of thing. But then uh, as I got a little bit older, I started scuba diving more, partly oh. because of, yeah, because I got this, you know, appreciation for the ocean and I was fortunate enough to live in, uh, in New England and then, and then in Southern California where you can actually go scuba diving. And uh, as I was diving, and I was, I would see these sea creatures, and what, they're they're amazing, right? So they're stuck to the rocks. You can see it on beaches. You can see it on the water. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of curious. Well, gee, how do they do that? How do they stick? Because uh, it's right there in front of you. So surely we know all about this. And so I'll just sort of walk my way over to the library and, and just read about it. And right. Um, of course, people have studied this, and, and actually uh, some of the papers even go back to Darwin, like literally that Darwin. Oh, he wow. Described how, yeah, yeah he, he described how, you know, pictures of Hebrew, how barnacles stick themselves oh. onto rocks, or actually more, more of their anatomy. But yeah, yeah, there's, there's yeah, Darwin work from the 1800s on this. And so people have studied, been studying this for a long time. But in terms of, you know, Really, the the details and the chemistry and and how do they actually do this? Um, at least back when I started, there was surprisingly little information. There certainly was information people before us for sure, but I was quite surprised at how little was known. And so this was this was about the time that I was finishing up my postdoc or my education, and I was going to come here to Purdue and start my own lab. And I had all these other ideas of things I wanted to do chemistry wise, whatever. But when I, once I realized uh, how little was known in this area and how cool it could be that basically st- understand how biology works, and how you make materials, and maybe we could use that information to develop new systems with properties we've never had access to before. So basically then I just kind of ditched everything. <laughs> I, I threw away all the plans, <laughs> all the carefully written up plans and then start and started the lab here. Uh, to study this and um, it's been it's been a lot of fun since we do that I, I could tell you about some of the aspects of it that i think are particularly cool from the biological end maybe then we can get into sort of what you can do with it later yeah yeah hit me with it all right so so i guess one of the one of the first things i think that's interesting is so if you if you go to a beach and let's say you're there like even just say on a stormy day or something, you go to the water's edge, say it's a rocky beach, and you try to stand there, uh, usually you're going to get knocked around by waves and you're going to get banged up and you're going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, generally just not a not a calm, easy place to exist, right? right. But then yeah. if you look down at your feet, what you see is that there are all these sea creatures that are sticking to the rocks, mm-hmm. right? And they're just, they're sticking there. And, and not only are they there able to stay in place when we people cannot, and of course that they're doing this by making pieces, uh, it's not usually suction. It's usually adhesives. Um, there are some bits that do suction, but it's, it's mostly adhesives. Uh-huh. Um, so not only are they able to stay in place the way a person could not, um, but if you think about adhesives that you buy at the hardware store, they don't work in wet environments. Yeah. Right. And so these animals are able to make adhesives in a rather hostile environment and and do so in a way that people cannot so and there's lots of reasons they do this for their survival but just before you get to that just they're there you see them at the beach they're doing things that people cannot do and so right away you know you start asking lots of questions how are they doing you know why are they doing this what Mm -hmm. can we do the technology so totally it, it yeah 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 so 
Yeah, man. No, I love it. I love how it, you know, you're, you're kind of on track. You're doing, you know, you're with, you're with chemistry, but then you see this, you kind of have this inspiration idea and you're like, dang, this is how the hell are they doing this? You know, it's so interesting. No one's really done it before. So you're like, well, this is the opportunity. I got to jump on it and and do it. I love that. It's awesome. Yeah. 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 It's fun. That's actually one of the cool things about science and engineering and and research in general. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, You, you have the ability if you sort of put all the ducks in a row and and, get, get proper education and you got to get a lab and funding and stuff like that. But basically you can, you can work on problems that are super cool like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Sweet. So, so tell me a bit about, you know, your, your lab and your research and in kind of what you guys are doing there. Right. So, uh, so we've got a lab here at, at Purdue. We roughly half of what we do is trying to figure out how the animals stick themselves to rocks and how they make their pieces, how they function. And then roughly half the lab is trying to develop new materials with properties we've not had access to before based on what we learn from the fundamental uh, studies that characterize the adhesives. Oh. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe before we get into that, maybe should I say just a few things about why the animals make the adhesives that they do? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Please do. Because cause it's, it's uh, I think if you put it in context, it, I think at least it's a little bit more interesting. So, so like I said, so imagine if you're, you're at the beach and you're trying to stay in place, but you're getting knocked around by the waves. So that's damaging, right? So one reason that the animals make these adhesives is just, you know, stay in place and not get, not get damaged and hurt mm-hmm. and, and killed and stuff like that. Um, another thing is when you, when you look at them, what you'll notice. So, so the, the, the animals we study here in our lab, we grow mussels, we grow oysters. Uh, but there's also, you know, lots of other sea creatures that are making use of, so starfish and barnacles are a classic example, and sea grasses, um, sea urchins, anemone, wow. all, all sorts of creatures, um, <clears throat> corals, uh, giant clams, there's tons of things. Um, but what you'll notice, especially if you think about like barnacles, mussels, places, that sort of thing, you never really see one of them alone on a rock you yeah. always see them clustered in the community together right right and so what yeah and so what they're doing is they're not actually just sticking to the surfaces and in many cases they're also sticking to their neighbors and so what they do is they build a community and these communities accomplish several things and so one is that imagine if you're let's say a muscle and you're in the middle of a cluster and a big wave comes along well the you're not going to be subjected to as much hydrodynamic force because it's spread out over the whole community rather than if you were out there alone taking the brunt of the wave. Right. Example, right. Mm-hmm. So they cluster together to, to help, you know, just not get knocked around. And another reason they do this is um, uh, it's safety from predator. Right. And so if you have like a seagull that wants to come and pick you up and eat you, well, it's a lot more difficult for the seagull to do that. Uh, if you're stuck to your knee, you're stuck to the surface. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and what you'll notice is if you if you go uh look at a bed of mussels and um you know, down in Southern California where you are, there's a really good place just in uh, beach actually. But anyways if you but you can see this in Maine, all over New England, tons of Northwest, tons of areas. 
if you see a bed of mussels and you want to say, oh, well, you know, how strong is this? I'll try to pull one off of a rock and see. The first thing you'll notice is that when you, when you, put, when you try to pick it up, they're clustered together so tightly that you can only touch sort of the, the upper half of the animal. You, you cannot get your fingers around to the bottom of the shell to then be able to yank it out. Right. Okay. Right. So this is done on purpose, but, but, but the way they get together closely like that is, is by using it. So um, those are some reasons that they do this, but then there's another interesting reason why they, they make these communities and stick together and that's for reproductive efficiency. And so if most of these animals, we, we can talk about exceptions in a minute, but uh, most of these animals reproduce by spawning. And so they'll eject, uh, you know, they're, they're spun into the surrounding water. And if they're all close to each other, well, then the efficiency of their reproduction is going to be a lot higher versus if there's one on this rock and one on the next rock. Right. Next rock, right? Yeah. Makes sense. So, yeah. I mean, sort of like, you know, it's easier to find, if you're a person, it's easier to find somebody, I don't know, a crowded bar or a city versus <laughs> out in the middle of a cornfield or something. Right? right. Yeah. Pretty much, pretty much the same story. They, they have the same dating woes, dating woes that, that we do. Like. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's tough for them too. Yeah. Um, the, the one exception, and I mentioned this at, at my own peril, knowing that this is probably going to be the only thing that anyone's going to remember on this podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> so, so most of the animals I mentioned, like the mussels, the oysters, they're, they're bivalves, mollusks. Uh, barnacles are actually crustaceans, and um, do, you, do you want to know how a barnacle reproduces? Oh yes, yes, please. <laughs> so, so they're they're crustaceans, so they're they're different, um, and so because they're cemented in place and they cannot move, um, uh, how do I say this politely? So the the. <laughs> The one, if, if, okay, so it's it's time for Mr. and Mrs. Barnacle to, to have kids, right? Right. So what Mr. Barnacle does is he has to have his penis reach over uh, far enough to to find uh, a partner, <laughs> and, and so 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 it ends up being very long. And so it actually turns out that as a function of body size, uh, barnacles have the uh, longest. Penis in the animal kingdom. Wow, impressive! Yeah, I know. Good for I the know. barnacle. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, it's all because of the glue. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, gee, honey, what'd you hear on the radio today? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good so, fact. Um, that's a good trivia fact to have in your back pocket. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it does well at cocktail parties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, there's that. Um, and then, and actually, another uh, another interesting thing I'll mention uh, is one of the animals we study is oysters, and it turns out that oysters are um, arguably they provide one of the most dominant influences on how healthy any coastal marine ecosystem is. And so, uh, if you think about you know, you'll see this again a lot in the Pacific Northwest or, or the East Coast or the Gulf Coast. Uh, you can have just literally miles and miles of oysters all cemented to each other, make reefs. Mm -hmm. And you don't see a lot of this anymore because, because 98% or so of, of the native reefs are gone. But anyways, they, they make these reef structures and what those reefs do is they hold sand and dirt in place. And because you'll have 
billions of muscle, potentially billions of muscles in a, in a location, they can, um, they're filter feeders, right? So they, they get all their nutrients by filtering water through and capturing the nutrient filter. But in doing so, they're also filtering a lot of sand and silt and stuff from the water. So they, they clean the water. Um, and then you can imagine if a storm surge comes in, if a big hurricane or something, a big storm surge, and if the storm surge first has to go through, you know, 10, 20 miles of, of dense, dense oyster reefs, it's not going to be as uh, bad when it hits the coast. And so they provide a lot of uh, protection. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. So, like, if you think of um, Hurricane Katrina or New Orleans or Hurricane Sandy around Jersey, New York, uh-huh. um, those those areas used to have a lot of oyster reefs. And so what I've heard is it's maybe 60 miles of oyster reefs that used to be in the Gulf between the water and Katrina and between and between the water and New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And so Katrina came in there, Sandy came to the Northeast. Um, the, The damage was a lot more extensive because the oyster reefs were not there. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, and what's I mean, what happened to the oyster reefs? Um, fishing and pollution and I disease. See. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> the the stocks started being taken out a lot mid to late 1800s, and so they say that if you go back 150 years ago, um, you know the Chesapeake Bay, which is one of the most studied um, bay systems. Uh, the the equivalent volume of water from all the um, from all the oysters filtering it, they would filter the equivalent volume of the entire bay every two or three days. Whoa! And now that's what it used to be. Yeah, every two or three days, and now it's it takes like two or three months oh, to man. do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, actually, if you think about coastal waters in most places, um, I was about to say in the U.S., but it's kind of in the world. Um, a lot of times you think of things being, oh, the water's all murky there, dirty, that kind of thing. But uh-huh. a lot of that is because the oysters aren't there anymore. That wow. they used to be. So 150 years ago, it used to be crystal clear water. But Interesting. Then, yeah, 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 yeah. And so if you take away the system that's filtering the water, but also in addition to that, if you take away the system that is holding the sand and dirt in place, it is there. Right. Well, this okay. Is, this is what you got. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. That I never knew that, but that makes total yeah. sense. Isn't it interesting? Yeah. So I mean, I know this probably isn't your area of expertise, but are is work being done to kind of try to restore um those oysters? Yeah, so that's actually a good question. Um a little bit, but as far as I know not tons, like that there's not really a, nat- a national program to do this and it's more state by state and and the budgets are not very high for this kind of thing i think i saw in some some uh 10 years ago or something that i think north carolina spent maybe five hundred seven thousand dollars a year on this so it's it's not a lot of money Mm -hmm. but but it's interesting that i mean i guess one let me mention one positive thing so you can think it's all you know woe and gloom environment degrading stuff like that um but so you can sleep at night still (laughs) uh it's one of these things where a small amount of money and effort can have a really big impact because what ends up happening is uh, if you want to reintroduce oysters, uh, 
if you announce a, a, a reef restoration program, people come out of the woodwork to volunteer their time. Oh. Uh, yeah. And so usually in, in, you know, a lot of projects, labor is the biggest cost. And so you can get uh, volunteer labor. You can get um, equipment and facilities, you know, used at a pretty low rate. So it's one of these things that with a very, relatively speaking, for, with a low input or resources, you can get a very major um, impact in terms of environmental restoration. Wow, cool. And, and, yeah, and it's actually one of these things that you can just see with your eyes. You yeah. Know? I mean, one of the problems that people have with climate change and, and CO2 and stuff, so you can't really see it. It's a very abstract concept in, mm-hmm. in some regards, whereas in this case, you could put stuff in the water and it'll take a while, but you know, you come back some years later, you could actually see it there. Yeah. I could see it almost, you know, it would have like a commercial benefit too, where that's a big, mm-hmm. you know, advertising selling point mm-hmm. where we have mm-hmm. super mm-hmm. clean, crystal clear waters, you know? Yep. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So I know uh, the people, so a lot of the oysters that you would eat are farmed. And so, yeah, this is one of the things I've heard um, oyster farmers try and, and sort of put as a selling point. Like, Hey, look, actually what we're doing you should eat more oysters because the more oysters we have, actually, the cleaner the environment's going to get. Right. It's one of the few foods that actually has a remediative effect in growing. Man, that's awesome. <laughs> right. A, a lot of things you're trying to sort of just minimize the impact, whereas this is one of the few things you can do to actually enhance uh, <laughs> what we have. Right. Yeah. yeah. I love that how it's just nature has created its own, you know, filtration, yeah. you yeah. know, process. Yeah, it's so cool. It is. It's, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. I, I agree completely. It's, it's very cool. <laughs> and then, so, so I guess just to bring it back a little bit, these, you know, so like mussels and oysters, they're just kind mm-hmm. of, they kind of secrete this, you know, these chemical compounds or whatever it is that, yeah. that yeah. is the, you know, adhesive. Yeah. So they do at the simplest level, um, what we're trying to do is figure out what those things are right <laughs> which sounds really easy like oh just get them yeah just milk, them, milk the animals and you know put it in some fancy instrument and, and tell me what it is yeah um it's that's the general idea it's obviously more difficult than that and we've been working on this for 20 years i guess <laughs> uh so and other labs have been, are working on this too of course it's not just us right. uh so yeah and and one of the things we have been trying to figure out is what's the difference between all these different animals and what they make. And there are some themes that seem to be popping up, um, but they're they're also turning out system to have some individual kind of characteristics. So the the two that we study, the mussels and the oysters, chemically at least, they sort of make, at least the way I look, I think about it, um, bookends chemically in that uh, the muscle adhesive is pretty much all organic. So it's, it's almost all protein based. Uh, so proteins are sort of the machinery that all life operates on. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, yeah, your hair and everything just is made from proteins. All you know, the enzymes, the, the gosh, like everything. <laughs> <laughs> not, 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 not really everything, no, because there's other materials. But, but sort of proteins are sort of like one of the like the most important thing to to make a living organism exist. Okay. Um, arguably, then again, I'm sure if you talked to a polysaccharide person or a lipid person, they'd probably say it's 
But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> I guess it depends who you ask. But but basically, proteins are, are are key, and proteins are organic, right? And and any plastic or material that you see is organic. And if you go to the hardware store, um, all the adhesives are organic. They're either polymers or they're uh, what we call monomers, small molecules that are going to become long molecules that are essentially polymers or plastic. Um, however, what we're finding with the oysters is that what they have is more inorganic. Um, the main component of their adhesive is uh, calcium carbonate, which is chalk or, or seashells, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, if, and chalk is not an adhesive, obviously, uh, but they add some components. It's, it's mostly chalk, but then they add in some com- organic components to make it adhesive. But anyways, chemically, they're, they're really quite distinct. The muscle adhesive is all organic or organic in water. Um, and then the oysters, more, we call it a cement, really. The oysters, more of a, like a hard, almost more like a concrete kind of thing. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, that's a very, very broad level. Of course, there's lots of subtleties and differences. And we're kind of trying to figure out what all of those subtleties and differences are. Mm-hmm. Um, but... So can you yeah, get, they're pretty different. Can you kind of help me with the understanding the difference between organic and inorganic? So yeah, so like inorganic is like a rock. Okay. <laughs> right. Inorganic could be a rock or or a brick or uh, yeah, stuff like that. Whereas organic would be some usually something that's living or or made from organic materials. So you know. Almost everything in your body is organic. Okay. Um, with the exception of your bones and your teeth, that those are going to be more inorganic, although they have some organic components in them. Okay. Uh, I see. Yeah. Is that like kind of meaning it's like an organ? Like an organism get, or something? Is that kind of how it relates, or am I off base there? Uh, that's probably the origin of the word. I don't actually know. Um, yeah, but it's more... Um, so like... like oh, example. So like like... Fossil fuels, that's that's organic. Uh, that's used to make plastics. Those are organic. Think, think of like really, really hard stuff that's inorganic. So yeah, stones okay. and cement and bricks and chalk and uh, drywall is, is an inorganic thing. And, you know, um, versus, versus wood would be organic. Okay. Uh, yeah, plastics. Uh, yeah. Okay. Something like that. No, that kind of, I think I'm, I'm getting it. That, that makes sense. So you're finding that oysters have, are making stuff that's more inorganic. Yeah. 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 Wow. Which we didn't expect because it's not, the inorganic things don't tend to be sticky. Right? Yeah. Right. You kind of think of, you know, adhesive as like kind of a gooey substance or something. Yeah. And usually organic. Yeah. Right. So that's interesting. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. Like how are, are you kind of able to take that finding that they're using that inorganic stuff as adhesive and, and turn that into something that we can use potentially? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's exactly what we're doing. Right. So, so, um, okay. So what you can do <laughs> if you're really motivated, you, you can actually extract the adhesives from the animals and that's what we do in order to figure out what it is and characterize it and stuff. Um, but if you if you do that, you don't get a lot of material, right? So you'll mm-hmm. get, you know, 
milligrams. So, you know, enough to see, but not enough to really start gluing things together or do anything. So if you want to make an adhesive, even if it's for a really high-end expensive application like biomedical or something like that, uh-huh. you're still never going to get enough material from the animals to do it. So we have to learn lessons from the animals, but then adapt those to systems that we can make synthetically. Okay. Yeah. And so the approach we've taken, and and here too, there there are other labs that are doing this, Um, but the approach we take is, uh, so the molecules, at least as much as we know at this point, but I think there's, we know only a tiny, tiny percentage of what these animals are really doing. But as far as what we know right now, one of the key components seem to be proteins, which are organic, and they're they're very long molecules. Um, they're they're very very long, and they what the animals are doing is they're putting this specific um, group in there that gives rise to adhesion. And I can get into all the chemistry if you want, but it's probably just to get too detailed into this. But let's just say it's a really, really long molecule and it's got in the middle of it distributed throughout. There are some groups in it that specifically give rise to sort of cross-linking and and adhesion chemistry. But you you can't synthesize that on a large scale. You can't extract it from the animal on a large scale. So what we're doing is we're taking other long molecules that you can get on large scales. And so we start with essentially plastics like polystyrene so you know like a like a white cap to a coffee cup that's polystyrene or 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 packing peanuts are usually styrofoam Mm -hmm. um we we don't start with that because we have to make it but basically what we'll do is we'll essentially what it is is we'll, we'll have something that's a really really long molecule like a polystyrene but then every now and then in in that long molecule we'll add in some of the chemical groups that we see in the proteins that give rise to adhesion. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So far. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on board. Okay. Okay. You're on board. Okay. Good. Good. So, so, and then also, and I'm just using polystyrene as an example, because it's sort of the simplest system we've made, but it, but it works, seems to work really well. So polystyrene, like a coffee, well, actually a coffee cup could be styrofoam, like a styrofoam coffee cup or, or a cap. Mm-hmm. on a paper coffee cup. That's, that's polystyrene. But that's not an adhesive, right? It right. doesn't stick to anything. But we can, by doing by making this chemical change, um, we have been able to make um, these systems that can bond uh, more strongly than superglue. Wow. Yeah. And that's dry. Uh, so that's good. I mean, a dry substrate. It's just sort of like out on the bench top or something. So that's fun. Um, what we've also been able to do is get these systems to set underwater yeah. and we can actually make strong bonds underwater. And that's starting to be kind of rare, right? Because most adhesives don't work at all underwater. Usually water gets in the way of adhesion because if you try to put an adhesive down um, underwater, so if it's, if it's say Elmer's glue, well, that's a suspension in water, and so it's not going to cure until it dries out. And that would be water, mm-hmm. or at the other end, super glue actually uses water in the air to start the curing process. But when you oh. do it underwater, there's so much uh, water around that it cures too quickly. Like as soon as it comes out of the tube, it doesn't stick to anything. 
Okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then most so and, and then other issues are the, the the if you have an adhesive, either the water will get the adhesive will interact with the water instead of your surface, or the surface is covered with water and so the adhesive never really gets down there. So so sticking in a wet environment is a very difficult thing. And so if we bring this back to the sea creatures, they've obviously figured out how to do this. Most man-made adhesives don't, but if we make a biomimetic version of what we see from the animals, then we can get underwater. Okay. So I think okay. I, okay, I think I kind of understand your, your process is where you, you know, you're looking at the animals and what they have, what they've produced and, you know, looking at the molecules and then you're trying to find a similar molecule that we can kind of produce on a large scale yep. or, or make it. and that's yep. you're you're just trying to replicate it essentially yeah I mean, we're not trying to replicate it exactly for several reasons so <clears throat> one reason is that it if you make the same thing it'd be really difficult and you couldn't do it on a large scale but another is that the animals are trying to they're trying to stick a shellfish to a rock and we're not typically interested in sticking a shellfish to a rock right because it's sort of been done so (laughs) but but if you want to make uh let's say a biomedical adhesive that works in a wet environment like within the body or if you're trying to make a uh an adhesive for you know packaging or something to make it more to make it degradable or if you want to make something that's mechanically it's adhesive but it's mechanically a little bit flexible so it can withstand a lot of vibration so if it's very automotive or aerospace or something like that so basically what we do is we start with what we know from the animals and then in making these synthetic versions for each new system that we make we think about a property that we'd like to have okay right so we're not so we use the information from the animals, but we're not necessarily trying to exactly replicate it because if I want to, um, I don't know, like, like, like your, your phone or your laptop or something, you can't use, you can't really recycle the components very easily because everything glued together. Right. So if I wanted to make an adhesive that glued well, but then could come apart later, well, then I might make that. Or if I wanted to say, Oh, I, I want to replace you know, the toxic formaldehyde in plywood or make a make packaging that could be composted, which you can't you can't compost a cardboard box now because of the paper you can, but it's all held together with adhesives, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so if I said, Oh, okay, well I will I'll use the adhesion chemistry I see in the shellfish, but then I wanna use a bio based um sort of backbone for the system, then I'll put that in. So it depends it depends what we're trying to do. Man, that's so cool. So you're able to kind of to use this to start with and then go in and and change stuff up depending on the use, like if you want yep. it to be recyclable or are you able to change things like the curing time and stuff like that yep. even? Yep. yep. Wow. Yep. Man, it's crazy yeah. that you have that much, that you're able to have that much control and, and work through all these different things. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, that part's not too difficult. The, what, what you end up with though is uh, so many variables that it's sometimes difficult to get a handle on everything because if, you know it's one polymer system versus another, or if the chains are the molecules are you know this long or that long, or if they have you know a little bit of the adhesion chemistry in them or a lot, or if you add a filler, or if you add a crosslinker to make it cure more quickly or less quickly, 
high temperature, low temperature? Do you, you know, what solvent do you put it in to make it flow? And what concentration do you do? So you end up with just so many variables yeah. that, Jeez. um, so on one hand you have tons of flexibility. On the other hand, there are a zillion knobs to sort of turn back and forth and figure out what to do. Yeah. I could be, yeah, that just sounds overwhelming, but it is cool on the one hand where you may be able to find or create the perfect adhesive for, you know, a specific use, I guess, but that just sounds like a ton of stuff to think about. Yeah. I mean, so like in, in one case, one of the systems that we've got that we've spent the most time with, um, we've sort of figured out, okay, here's the version of this polymer that has the highest adhesion, but if you want to use it, for cosmetics, you could you could start with the same polymer, but you might want to use it for cosmetics, which are, there's some interesting applications there. Maybe to talk about, uh, but or if you want to use it for construction, or you want to use it for biomedical, or you want to use it for electronics. In each of those cases, you're gonna formulate it differently, right? So if it's cosmetics, it's got to be you know roughly room or body temperature you want to set quickly. If it's you know for assembly electronics well you know they're already pushing things through with the gun or something and they you might want it to be a couple hundred degrees mm -hmm. and you have longer to to let it cure so so yeah you could even start with the same base molecule but it, but you're gonna have to twiddle it around and and do different things with it okay yeah yeah interesting okay i i think i'm understanding this it makes sense <laughs> good good yeah good. yeah no you're doing a great job of explaining it. i love this so can okay we... good good yeah yeah, no. yeah if, it, if it's ever too complicated just tell me i'll dial it back no no this is great um because yeah i know it's it can be difficult when you're you know i'm just want the broad overview understanding of it and some details but you work in this every day so i understand that it's yeah it's yeah difficult. a little close to it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um so yeah can we talk about Oh, I guess let's first talk about, I think you mentioned your kind of your lab, what that looks like maybe. And then you also mentioned yeah. you had like a, a pet lobster or a pet crab story to share, right? Oh. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a few. Yeah. So, um, so our lab, uh, we have one room, it's sort of our aquarium room where we've got, I don't know, three, more, maybe 500 gallons of salt water sloshing around. <laughs> Uh, where, so we actually, in that tank, we grow mussels and we sort of have it divided out into regions. So one is uh, a holding tank, like literally it's where we hold the animals in a tank when, when we want them to just sit there. If, if we, if we induce them to make adhesive, it tires them out and they only can do it a few times before they stop producing adhesive. So uh -huh. we let them rest in that one tank, but then we have another, it's all one system. When you, when you do marine when you grow marine organisms like this, the larger the volume you can get, the easier it is to sort of buffer and control the chemistry in the water to keep the animals healthy. So, so we use very, very large volumes. But um, if we want them to make adhesive, we put them in another area of the same, <clears throat> the same system. And uh, there we have a, a wave system. And I should say, okay, so we, we, we have the whole thing set up so that it simulates uh, Maine in February because this this is they really like it when it's cold. They don't like it when it gets warm. Okay, uh, that's when they re that's when they reproduce. Actually, when the water temperature goes up in the summer, uh, you know how people say don't eat shellfish in the summer. Okay, 
Maybe you haven't, but okay. I haven't heard that. It used, to, no. used to be a thing. Yeah, yeah I okay. believe it used you. to be yeah. a thing. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So people, like when I was a kid, people would say, don't eat shellfish in any month that uh, doesn't have an R in it, right? Because it's the summer. The, the reason, nowadays you can get stuff that's pretty much in good shape year round, but, but back when I was a kid, you couldn't. And the reason is the, the, when the water temperature goes up, that's their signal to reproduce. And so they spawn and they reproduce and they, they expend a lot of their metabolic energy doing this and they get weaker. Mm. And so they're, they're unhealthy at those times. So we don't want that. So what we do is we make it the coldest conditions they would see. So basically February, like Maine, and we have the lights in the room cycled. So that's like a, a day in February and May. Oh, cool. And yeah. And then we have a surge system to make waves. <laughs> it's because when, when they, we, we, we debate whether or not this is actually accurate and useful in the lab, but uh, essentially if you put them in a more turbulent environment, the idea is that they'll make more adhesive to, to stay in place better versus if they're just in water, that's not moving around a lot. Right. So so we have a system that it's it's a siphon system, but in essence, it's sort of like a toilet. That basically we have a, a they're they're in one tank, and then there's a another tank next to it that we pump water into. And when it fills up and it hits a certain level, then it opens up and it all sloshes down and creates a bunch of turbulence stuff like that. And then it fills up again and it does this in cycles. Okay. So that's what we do with the mussels and the oysters. The oysters are they're a little bit more sedate. They're sometimes in estuary and waters which aren't as, as turbulent. So so for we have them in separate tanks that we don't have the surge system in there but so we have the aquarium room and so even though we're in Indi- in indiana uh, the, the lab smells like the ocean so <laughs> <laughs> uh and then and then in the other half of the lab it looks like a like a tr- pretty traditional we got chemistry biochemistry kind of lab so we have things you know glassware and we do synthesis and we make things and there's some instruments we have to analyze things some of them are chemical instruments or biochemical instruments and then some of them then we also have a a materials testing machine so when we make new adhesives our our functional assay is to glue things together so basically we'll take two pieces of aluminum or two pieces of wood or two pieces of teflon or something like that apply our adhesive there glue them together cure it under various conditions and pull them apart and measure the force that's withstood by by the joints okay and then and we also compare to commercial adhesive. So if I say, oh, it's stronger than superglue, it's because we also measured superglue right, right. right next to it under the same conditions. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's That sounds awesome. Um, yeah. So can you hit me with the, the lobster story? The lobster? Oh, great. So, okay. So you know how I said, <clears throat> actually, there's a lobster story and there's a crab story. If okay. You, if you want, like, let's, let's do them both. Shellfish, shellfish in Indiana stories. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my favorite kind of stories. Dexter. <laughs> Coincidentally, they're mine too. <laughs> so, so, um, so one day I'm in the in the airport in Boston, and I was collecting some mussels and visiting family and that kind of thing. And in the airport, you can buy lobsters to eat. Okay. And right at the airport, so you can you know bring them home with you. I'm like, oh great, you know what? I'm gonna get a lobster for the lab. I'm gonna have a pet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a pet lobster. So I bring I bring the lobster back, and we we. We put them in the tank with the mussels, but you have to separate them because you don't want them to eat the mussels, right? So um, we we built a little enclosure, and, and lobsters like to have caves to hide in. And so we 
we, this is in a tank of chilled salt water. We built this little cave out of flagstones and stuff like that. And, you know, we, he would live in there and he would occasionally come out. Um, the, the students named him butter. <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, so what we would do is we, we would buy uh, frozen dead shrimp to give them because they're, they're, they eat just, you know, junk on the, on the floor. So we gave him that. He's very, very well fed. The best, best fed lobster in Indiana. <laughs> and, uh, and we had him caged off from the rest of the animals so, so that he had his spot, the mussels had their spot, stuff like that. And then he grew for like five years, I think. did did pretty well. Wow, okay. And, yeah, and he grew and grew and grew. He was getting to be pretty big and pretty fat. And then somehow, I don't know, we came in the lab one day and he broke through the cage and he ate all the mussels. Oh, man. It was hundreds of them. Gone. <laughs> and then he went back in his cave and he didn't come out for two weeks. And he, he was in a food coma. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure he knew what he did because he wouldn't make eye contact with us. <laughs> you are. Oh no, he was ashamed. So, yeah. 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 So that is the end of the pet lobster story. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's we just, have, that's like just staring have. through the, uh, through the window looking at a, uh, you know, golden corral for five years, you know, you're going to figure out a way to get there. <laughs> eventually. <laughs> eventually. Yeah. 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 So that, that happened. Yeah. The, the crab story. So, so once I was in, uh, Maine collecting mussels, sometimes we get them from, from fishermen and seafood suppliers and, uh, I've in the past, I've also gone and, and got collected them myself and, uh, I collected a bunch and I put them in some coolers and brought them back. And so th this was, these were from Maine and, uh, actually some from New Hampshire and we brought them back. And what'll happen is when you, you know, you have to wait for low tide to get them. And when I was there, it was dark. And so, you know, flashlight between my chin and my chest and getting sprayed salt water <laughs> and freezing my hands are numb and whatever so you, just, you, you get what you can you put them in the coolers you bring them back and then what you'll find out after you're cleaning them out and you're you have them in the tank here is that other there's a few other sea creatures sort of tag along for the ride and we got uh there were these crabs that came along with them and they were really really tiny like like quarter inch no not they weren't quarter inch. eighth of an inch at the biggest and, they, and i didn't know this until then um when crabs are that tiny they're transparent oh you can see right through them anyways they're they're there and we, we would feed the lobster uh, feed the uh mussels and we put other food in the tank stuff like that and they grew and they grew and this lobster or this uh crab got to be about like three or four inches across uh -huh. got to be pretty substantial okay fine and then, clearly desperate to get back to Maine, uh, crawled up out of the tank. I don't know how this happened. And so he crawled up out of the tank, down onto the floor, uh, went out of the room, took a turn, and then started going down the little hallway that we have that then goes into the big hallway <laughs> of, of the building. It was crazy how it, how it was able to do this, and it knew exactly <laughs> exactly where to go towards I don't know towards the sunlight or something. Right. So uh, we picked it up and we put it back in. Okay. And and then a couple of weeks later, we didn't hear about this until it was too late. But it did it again, and apparently what happened was I went up, took the same route, got out of the tank, went down the floor, turned the corner, went out into the main hall, 
went down the main hall of the building. And I guess uh, we, we used to have an assistant uh, for the lab that worked down the hall. And it saw her and she saw the crab. And it put its claws up and started snapping at her. And, and she was from Indiana. She started, she had no idea what it was. She started screaming. <laughs> and she ran the other way. And she, she ran one way and, and the crab went the other way. And, and it kept going and going. And then it went, we have a bridge to the next building. And it went over to the next building. Wow. And then it went into the stairwell and it started going downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, I guess it was the change between classes and there was a lot of foot traffic and people didn't see it. And, and oh. so they stopped, stepped on it. And so somebody then came, they, they kind of knew where it probably came from. And they, they, someone brought to our lab a squished flat crab. Oh man. <laughs> that was the end of the crab. Wow. That was the end of the crab. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, like the, yeah. like a real life, uh, you know, finding Nemo escaping from the dentist scene, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Except for it didn't end quite. <laughs> it's not the same, uh, Disney no. ending. Yeah. No, it's not, same, it's not the same Disney ending for the <laughs> animals that end up here. Yeah. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That's fun. That's awesome. I yeah. love stories like that. That just happened. Okay, good, these good, these good. facilities. That's cool. <laughs> Cool. So let's jump back in. Um, let's talk about some of the like, you know, uses, the potential uses and sure. and things that you guys are developing maybe. And like, I know the biomedical stuff is super interesting. That sounds really cool. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I think it's, I also think it's really cool. So what, okay. Think about what happens if you get injured or you have to have some surgery. Uh, how do we put you back together? So sutures, staples, screws, right? And these things are horrific. Mm -hmm. I, I like to say that they seem like they were developed in a medieval torture chamber, right? Yeah, really. <laughs> like, let's, let's, you know, drill holes in people and <laughs> tie them up and pull them back, you know, pull it all back together. It just sounds horrible, right? Right. But it's, it's the best thing that we have right now. And, and so sutures are bad because you're, you're poking holes in healthy tissue and, and you pulling it and then when you put in the sutures in and you tie them together uh there's you're concentrating all these mechanical stresses and sutures also are sites where you can actually um, create a lot of infections so those are bad uh if you've ever seen an x-ray of, of anyone excuse me of anyone that's had a plate put in um to support pieces of bone or healing there if you if you look at the pictures of you have to, you know, put screws in on the plate to the bone. If you look at these x-rays, it's crazy how much healthy bone you have to drill out just to hold the plate Oof. in there. Yeah. Right. And then staples, like, yeah, who wants to go get staples, right? So, you know, if we could use adhesives, well, that would be arguably that you'd have much better patient outcomes, right? You know, less mm -hmm. pain, maybe, maybe actually a lot less scarring so this is like plastic surgery is even one place that, that could be there but it, beyond just basic reconnection of tissue um, so we'd be a lot better off if we could use adhesives but if you think about it, at the very base level there's sort of three things you need to use an adhesive in a biomedical context right so it's got a set wet which most adhesives don't it's got to make a strong bond and there to in this wet in wet environments that doesn't usually work very well and it's got to be non-toxic mm -hmm. and so that tr 
trio of properties has never been achieved with anything yet. So you can get two pretty easily, right? So super glue, it can set wet if you do it right. And it can make a really strong bond, but it's toxic. Right. Or there's a there's a commercial uh, surgical sealant that's available and it's essentially a blood clot. And so it's it's biocompatible, so it's it's not toxic and it works in water or in the body, uh, but the bonds are really, really weak. So okay. hitting all three of these, so strong bond, non-toxic, and and um, actually working in a wet environment, that's never been done before. So obviously that's a, that's a big goal of ours. We're working on that. It, it, even if you hit all three of those things, there are then requirements that surgeons really want as well. So they want it to you know, set in a or cure in a time frame compatible with the surgery, so they don't want a 24-hour cure or something. Oh, right, right yeah. Right, and then um, they usually want it to be. Uh, you want to, you want to have a similar modulus to that of the tissue around it. So modulus is sort of like a hardness or stiffness measurement. So if you have bone on either side, you want your adhesive to be hard like the bone, stiff like the bone. I should say. If you want, you know, if you're doing skin or some soft tissue that's flexible, you might want your adhesive to be flexible. Uh, another thing that people get picky about is they very often will want adhesive, not just any adhesive to stick, but they would might eventually want the adhesive to uh, degrade and let the body body's healing process take over and replace the adhesive after a while. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so that these are some of the big things in biomedical, and we're obviously working on this. We've got some progress that I think is pretty exciting. Um, but we haven't, I'm not going to say, well, all right, we solved that problem. No. <laughs> Easy, done. <laughs> no way. Right. Uh, yeah. And like, like what we talked about earlier, different applications in the body, even if you have the same base adhesive system, you might end up having to formulate it very differently. Right. Cause what you would need to connect, you know, fragile intestinal tissue and what you might need to connect bone are going to be very different things. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's, it, it's, it, this one's really complicated. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. It's really complicated, man. But that's cool. So you, do you feel like, I mean, do you feel like you're making good progress with this and that this yeah. is definitely yeah. possible to have some of this stuff? Yeah. I, I, I think it's a solvable problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're making progress, uh, you know, not as quickly as I'd like, but then nothing ever goes as quickly as you want it to, right? Right. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, we can stick together bone and we can stick together like wet pig skin, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, if, if you want stories, so, so the the very first experiment we ever did with uh, with bone, so this is really, literally the first thing we ever did years ago. I thought, well, I don't know. We didn't have access to bone. And I, I told that we had this undergrad, uh, Robert, and I said, just like go to the pet store, like buy a dog bone, <laughs> literally just right. bleach bone and um, cut it up into pieces and and use one of our polymers and glue it back together. And this was going to be configured in a way that's not at all surgically relevant. It's obviously a bleached bone, so it's not, you know biomedically suitable or relevant or whatever but just a quick quick test just to see if we can do anything mm-hmm. and we, we we did it in a way that we normally bond together structural materials like metals and plastics and stuff like that. so i said just i said just try it we've never done anything like this or just just go try it 
you know, so, so he goes away and I don't see him for a week. I don't see him for two weeks. What's going on? I don't see him for three weeks. And, and finally I found him like, Robert, what's going on? You know, you, you're going to try this. I haven't heard anything. And he's like, yeah, well, man, he goes, yeah, I'm really sorry. He says, so I got the bone and I cut it up and then I glued it back together. And then, uh, every time I try to pull it apart, the bone shatters and the adhesive joint stays intact. So I'm really sorry. I don't have any data. <laughs> I can't tell you how strong it is. I don't, I don't have any data. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, ah, that's awesome. Wow. Yeah. Like, like if the bone's breaking before the adhesive joint, I'm happy. I don't care. Yeah, really. That's good. Numbers. Good stuff. That's a good sign. Yeah. 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 So it's, it, it turns out it's, when you go to real bones, much more difficult. So, so if we'll take, we'll cut up some, um, like bovine femur or something like that. And then when you do that, then you, you can put the adhesive there, but then fat and oils and stuff are coming out of the bone and they're getting between your adhesive and the actual inorganic substrate. And there, you know, there are a lot of complications you needed to set in certain time frames and that kind of thing. So it's, it's really difficult and I'm not saying we've solved the problem, but uh, we're working on it and we've had some progress and mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah. Another aspect of this whole research area that I think is, is pretty cool. Yeah. So is, I feel like I had a friend who got just kind of a small cut like around their eye and they use some sort of glue to kind of just put it together. Yep. Is that stuff kind of being used in a small way? A little way? bit. Okay. Yeah, in a small way. It's it's not used that much, but it, it is a little bit. Um, and there are some sealants that are used inside the body. So you might get something sutured up and then they might add a sealant to sort of um, help along the basically letting fluid flow, you know, not, not allowing fluid flow there. And yeah, sometimes it'll be used, uh, on skin instead of stitches because then you won't have the scars from the holes from the stitches. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, there are a lot of problems with it. So the, it's kind of okay to use externally, but it's toxic still. And so you can't use it internally. I see. And so essentially those, those adhesives are derivatives of superglue. More or less. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, that's yeah. cool to hear that. At least it's, it's sort of being used a bit. It's starting to happen. And then obviously as more, you know, better uh, things are found and, and created, we'll, we'll get further along, but that's uh that's cool. It's yeah. exciting to hear this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. there's also, Oh no, go ahead. Uh, well, I was just wondering, you know, cause when I first heard, you know, bonding things underwater and an adhesive that works underwater is like, you know, what, who are you going to, what are you going to use that for? It makes sense for the medical <laughs> stuff, of course, but are there any other um, uses where you would want to adhere, adhere stuff underwater? So the other big application <clears throat> that, uh, well, there's a lot of applications. Okay. So one, one is um, repair of marine structures. So if you've got a boat and you you know get a hole in it or something like that, and you need to patch things up to get to port. Uh, there's actually some need for that. The commercially probably the big one there is uh, oil and gas infrastructure because there's a lot of oil platforms and stuff at sea. Right. And yeah, yeah. And so there's basically you have a lot of metal structures that are failing. And a lot of these these oil platforms are crazy expensive. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> crazy billions. And uh, they're coming toward the end of their lifespan, and so they're trying to eke out as much life as they can. But things are aren't 
are not in good shape. So, so basically, the the offshore oil and gas industry uh, could benefit from things like this mm-hmm. in in many regards, be it the the core structure or actually the the piping and the drilling itself. Uh, and then there's yeah various maritime applications uh, in terms of repairs at sea. There's also, so related to adhesives in general uh, are coatings. And so if you think about um, like your car, well, maybe you live in Southern California, I guess. So maybe not your car, but if you, <laughs> if you live somewhere where there's winter, uh, where there's, you know, hardy people that can withstand snow in winter and stuff like that. Right. Um, our cars don't last as long because the roads all because they're rusting. Mm-hmm. And just you know, a lot of structures rust in general. So if you could make things, basically coatings that stick to surfaces and prevent rust, um, there's a zillion applications for that. So one of them is you know, anything in salt water, so maritime, offshore you know, oil and gas, oh, shipping, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And so where a lot of the current coatings fail is, uh, well, certainly they don't work if you have to apply them to a wet substrate, but even, even systems where you can apply them in a dry environment, but then you put them into water, a, a lot of, uh, materials fail eventually. And so, so for instance, like window seals, right? If, the main reason that windows often fail after a while is that the seal stop, uh, the, the seals fail and water gets in. And just because they're, the water resistance isn't very high. Right. Right. So there it's, so some of the applications are for making adhesives or coatings, you know, applying them in a wet environment. So underwater, offshore, but then there are also applications where you might apply it dry but the intent is to have it in a wet environment and you want it to be able to withstand water. And so, you know, what we're finding is that the ones that can do well applied underwater, they also do well just keeping water out in general, even if you initially set up a bond dry, but then you have your system exposed to water for a long amount of time. Okay. Okay. I see. Man. Well, yeah, there's so much stuff that I wouldn't even... That just happens that I don't even know about. You yeah, know, there's so yeah, many cases. Yeah. yeah. So another example too is um, <coughs> construction, mm-hmm. right? So if you're at a construction site and it just rained last night, what are you going to do? Not work until it dries out? No, you got to, you know, you got to start bonding things together. So, uh, uh, you know, so metal into concrete or wood to wood or concrete, concrete, you know, so if you could do things wet there that would be great but it doesn't doesn't really do too well mm-hmm. um, another another application is cosmetics so do you want to talk about cosmetics a little bit yeah yeah tell me about it okay so so we're two guys so we'll talk about cosmetics right no idea what we're <laughs> as talking we about. do yeah as we do because <laughs> that's just right um so but here too it's, a, it's sort of a, a wet application so the one so in 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 science when when we have something that we have an application that we think it's like, it's like everybody wants to make that so we say oh that's a sexy application so like in this area it's like oh biomedical adhesion that's the sexy application but <laughs> i think we can like literally go one step closer to really sexy in terms of cosmetics so so one thing is uh nail polish 
right? So and I'm sure you're very familiar. Yeah. <laughs> about, about as familiar as I am. Um, right. So so the, the the current things that that are used, you know, they don't last as long, or they're they're not as strong or resistant to chips and stuff like that. So there's there's a need for higher performance uh, materials there. But the the one that I find most amusing. And I never even knew this was a thing. I never even knew this existed until I started getting calls from companies. <laughs> is uh, do you know anything about fake eyelashes? Uh, I know they exist, but that's about it. Okay, right. So, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you may find this hard to believe. I find this hard to believe almost. So, so I thought that when there's fake eyelashes, it's like this little strip of adhesive, and they've got these little eyelashy things, and you just tape it onto your eye to your eyelids, right? Right. No. It's way more complicated than that. So what? So what women do? And I don't know. They do this for us guys, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> they, <laughs> what they do is they will get what are called eyelash extensions, and so it's it's a little sort of fake eyelash, and one by one. The, so you have to go to professional for this, right? So you have to go to technician for this. And what they'll do is they take one of these eyelash extensions. And they dip it into a little bit of adhesive, and then they glue it on to one of your eyelashes. No. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. So when I, <laughs> when I got my first inquiry about this, I thought it was a prank. Right. <laughs> I'm like, no, people don't do that. You to stop, stop harassing me. Right. Funny enough, funny enough. Like, let's, 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 I got to go. But no, apparently it's real. So, <laughs> so it, and they do this one by one, one by one. One by one, and and apparently in in some places like like uh, parts of Asia and Eastern Europe and Russia and stuff like that, it's it's a it's a really big thing, and I guess it's on the rise here in the U.S. Um, and I am far from an expert on this. <laughs> I'm just telling you sort of <laughs> things I hear on the street, I guess. Right. <laughs> uh, so, and when they're doing this, right. The, the technicians, they're doing this all with tweezers. So you have these sharp tweezers all manipulating things right by your eye with yeah. glue. And they're using super glue. Yeah. So, like, so you can get poked in the eye. You can get your eyes glued shut. Uh, the, <laughs> see, what, see what they put up? See what they do for just for us guys? Yeah, really. Crazy. <laughs> so some people do this all the time, but a lot of people... We'll just do this like for a wedding or a special occasion or something like that. Okay. So, um, and what they're using, it's, it's super glue, just not, I mean, it's the same chemistry as super glue. It's just, I don't think it's branded super glue, but it's off brand super glue. Mm -hmm. And because it's toxic, sometimes women get really bad reactions to it and their eyes will just blow up. Yeah. It's toxic. Thanks. Can you believe this? So, obviously, they need an alternative there. <laughs> yeah, and that they have to be desperate if they're calling me <laughs> for this. And and so I I didn't really. So now now I can sort of spot this a mile away because now now I know that it, it's a thing and it's going on. And so like if you look at any photo of of Kim Kardashian or Jennifer Lopez or something like that, I look at it. I'm like, yep, those are fake. <laughs> so I, I, and, I, and I assure you, I'm only looking at the eyelash. <laughs> right. Yes. When I when I say those are fake, so. <laughs> So, but I can, I can spot it a mile away now because I, because I'm looking for it, but right. I didn't, I didn't know it existed before. And so one day, um, just, just when I'm learning about this, I, 
I was eating lunch. And I'm like, well, okay, let me let me look look this up. Let's see, is this is this really a thing? Whatever. And I, it's it's very expensive to get this done. Mm-hmm. The labor the labor costs are pretty high, right? Because it's it's pretty. It takes a while. And it's a lot of work. And so I found this this online beauty forums where women were exchanging experiences like, oh, do you like doing it? Do you not? Or, oh, but I like the ritual putting on mascara. Oh, but this would save me from having to do that. Whatever. And this is one of these things where I was, I'm reading these <laughs> online beauty forums on my work computer. So right. afterwards, you know, clear history, clear history. <laughs> <laughs> and anyways, this, this, this woman shows photographs of herself before versus after getting the eyelash extensions on. And so I look at the before picture. I'm like, well, that's a fine looking lady. She Mm -hmm. looks really good. She looks, she looks really good. Right. And then I saw the after picture. I'm like, damn it. You know what? I think she looks better. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. That's good. Yeah. So I don't know. (laughs) Right. Yeah. They, they works, I guess. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the, the issues there is that the, uh, um, obviously you want to be able to take showers and stuff afterwards, but the adhesive, it, it lets loose after a while. Yeah. <laughs> so they need better water resistance. The other thing is, I guess, I guess once you put these on, you can't use oil-based makeup because the oil dissolves the adhesive and takes it off. And most, I guess most, adhe- most uh, makeup's oil-based. So oh, okay. it's very restrictive in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so do you know how long that, like those lashes generally stay on? I think they say about two weeks on the long end. Okay. I don't know. Hmm. I don't, but then, and they start, I don't know what they do. Then they, they like start falling out. Yeah. I, then like half of them are out, half of them are on. So I don't know what they do at that point. Do you like yank, yank them all out or. Oh gosh. Or it's like drugs. You got to like keep going back. Like you got to keep going back and keep going back. And right. Going back. The, the other day. Oh, actually speaking of drugs. So it's not really literally drugs, but <laughs> drug like activity. So if you get, if you put on um, fake Nails. We're talking about eyelashes, but if you go to fake nails, right, you got to glue those things on. And there too, um, women use an adhesive that is also essentially super glue and is toxic. And so, if you just do it once in a while for you know a friend's wedding, I guess it's probably okay. But there are some people that like to have fake nails all the time, and you eventually build up uh, a toxic response to the adhesive, and one of the ways that manifests itself is that your fingers get all red and and stuff, and but then also the nail, the act, the the real nail, not the fake one, uh-huh. starts to deform, Ooh. and so then you're so you can't take off the fake nails because now your natural nails look even worse than they did before. Uh-huh. So then they have to go back. That gives them more incentive to put on more fake nails, but then. That also means more toxic glue. So it's like drugs. You just got to keep going back and keep going back and you can't get out of it. Yeah. Oh, man. That's rough. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I shouldn't be laughing. I guess it's a problem, but uh, at some level, it's yeah. interesting. Anyway, so, so those are those are like cosmetic applications, biomedical applications. There, there's a lot of uh, other places where we need new adhesives because basically most of the the adhesives we have are toxic. So the, one of the things we've been thinking about a lot lately is uh, plywood and fiberboard and chipboard and uh, oriented strand board and things like that. So if, if you have plywood, it's you know pe- pieces of wood, but it's held together with an adhesive. 
uh, in that adhesive, there's sort of three main flavors of it, I guess you'd say. But the one consistent component in the malt is formaldehyde. Oof. Uh, yeah, and it's toxic, and it's a gas, and it uh, you, you can't. It's colorless and odorless and stuff like that. So, but but basically, when you have fresh plywood, so if you build a new house or you go into a new building or something, like that, the first year or two, it's off gassing a carcinogen. Oh man. Yeah. So so you're breathing a carcinogen for a while, and this is an issue. But there's not. Um, a lot of alternatives available right now. So we've been thinking about that a bit. Yeah. Um, oh, it's also an issue with furniture, mm-hmm. right? So if you go into a big furniture store, you're probably breathing a bunch of that. Yikes. Not to mention if you bring it home. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause, cause sort of lower end furniture is made with chipboard, fiberboard, plywood, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, so yeah, there's, there are issues with the, toxins coming out of the adhesives there um i mentioned packaging that's another place where we're thinking about trying to sort of make some improvements there because uh cardboard is a you know there's tons and tons of cardboard around that kind of can be recycled but the recyclers complain a lot about it because if you think about a cardboard box like a corrugated cardboard box it's it's essentially two thin sheets of the cardboard then it's got the you know the wavy part that's in between right yeah that wavy part is glued to the two flat parts okay yeah and that glue uh is usually not always but it's usually petroleum based and it gums up the works of the recycling system but but also what that means is the box you can't compost anything oh right yeah right the majority of it could be but except for you got this this Bad thing. So one of the things we're working on now is making bio-based degradable adhesives as alternatives for that. Um, food packaging. So so one of the adhesive systems we have, we've got a protein and we've got some some of this adhesion chemistry. We, it's a protein we're taking from corn and, and the adhesion molecules, as you could call them, we're taking from other natural systems. So trees, and nuts and fruits, and various things you can get. And if we could com- if we combine them just right, we can make adhesives that are really strong, like super glue strong, and also uh, it's bio based and degradable. And so maybe that could be good for uh, packaging, green packaging, but also uh, packaging for things that are in contact with food. Because if you think about your, I don't know, box of organic crackers or whatever, right? They, they're in a, in the packaging. It's sealed up with a petroleum-based adhesive and there's things that can be yeah oh my gosh wow yeah 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 no it's everywhere right yeah, it's crazy yeah right? the, the non-toxicity part of it seems like that could be just so great for everything yeah yeah I, I i hope so i would think yeah oh yeah, yeah. totally yeah. that's crazy yeah and and other environmental things right so like electronics you know phones laptops and stuff like that you don't really they're not easy to recycle because there's glue holding things together and you can't really get it apart to take out the you know precious metals and gold and things like that in there so if you could make adhesives that stick when you want them to stick strongly but then can come apart when you want them to maybe maybe we could then 
recycle things. Because so, there's a lot of things that you just landfill. So electronics are sometimes, you know, often landfilled despite maybe what we hear. And then um, one of the one of the main components of landfills these days is phone books, which are not a growth industry. I understand, but um, the paper is recyclable, but sort of like the cardboard box, but the the glue that holds the the binding that's not right. So the whole thing goes in, or your old shoes, or the interior of cars, or a lot of furniture, or anything that's made out of you know plywood or chipboard or anything like that. It all just gets landfilled. Yeah. So, jeez, man. Yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's crazy. Like this, and it just is the stuff you're doing is so important. You know, it's we really need to get this stuff going. So I'm glad. You know, glad you're working on it. I, yeah, I think, I mean, I, it keeps me going. I see a lot of potential impacts here. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully we can, we can solve some of these problems and stuff. We're trying totally. Doing what we can. <laughs> so you mentioned the like, um, uh, eyelash companies that came to you and were, were asking for <laughs> yeah. this stuff. Do you have yeah. like, I mean, how does that work with, do you have a lot of companies coming to you for like their specific use cases and asking you to develop stuff for them? Yeah, I get, I get. Inquiries from companies, I guess, fairly frequently. Um, usually, usually if they're calling me, they're like I said before, they're usually pretty desperate. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, they often have a problem to solve, and we're not, you know, I have, I have bills to pay here to keep the lab going, so I'm not able to just drop what we're working on to help a company. Right. Um, obviously, if they're gonna fund the lab that's a totally different story yeah uh but yeah i mean we we talk to companies we're we're starting a company now that's taking one of our adhesive systems hopefully to market for some applications oh, but cool. we have several other adhesive systems that we have not commercialized and we we don't have any industrial partners yet so yeah we're we're definitely open to um taking things to market um you know it's sort of a typical value of death kind of thing like we have what might look like a promising technology and many companies will have many different applications but you know we haven't yet proven that our material works for a given very specific situation mm -hmm. and so then there's a gap and so so the, the the challenge is always finding a way to bridge that gap to then get something uh, to market right so if you say oh well, i need a new eyelash glue or oh i need a new bone cement or oh i need a new you know thing for packaging it's all you, you could end up with the start the the first initial thing but who's who's going to do the work to to really test it and get it to that final product and you know some of that could be done here some of that could be done in the company or maybe we should start some more companies to do it um yeah so yeah i mean i hope hopefully hopefully we'll get several of these things to market in, in several different contexts. Um, it's kind of exciting actually that we have materials that you, you can very easily draw an arrow from, from a given material we have to several different applications and markets. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. That's so cool. And so do you, uh, I guess, is this stuff patentable or like, how do you kind yeah, of go? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so each one of the, each, every time we develop a new system, we file a, a patent on it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Awesome. Yeah. There's so many things. It's, yeah. And then I can see how that's just a whole nother can of worms to go to the commercial side and prove it and, and yeah. get, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, we're spending more of our time now on that than we used to. So we used to be more in the fundamental, let's just understand how the C creatures do what they do mode. Mm-hmm. And then we then we added in to that, the, let's make some new materials. And then, then from there, like, oh, let's test them under a few circumstances that might have some commercial impact. Um, so we're getting closer to the commercial side of things, but there's still sort of a lot of work to be done there. But um, it's something I definitely hope that we can have as more of our future here. Yeah, I yeah. Guess, yeah like, like you say, I can see so many different ways. And in fact, actually, in in some regards, one of the difficult one of the difficulties is trying to figure out what commercial applications to pursue. Mm-hmm. So right. what we're finding in, in, in some of the company people I've talked to, we said, all right, well, look here, let's, let's look at these five applications and let's, let's explore them in more detail and figure out which are the ones we, you know, let's, and we'll, you know, we'll start with five or six or whatever, and we'll pick one or two to focus on. And what you end up doing is as you research a given application for a given adhesive, new adhesive and you start talking to people because you're trying to narrow it down. You're, so you're trying to narrow down and say, okay, let's pick one thing to commercialize or one market to go after right. or two. Um, then you start talking to people to get advice, you know, people in the industry or other industries are related. And they're like, oh, you have that? Oh, well, here's three things, three other things you got to work on. <laughs> so so when, you, when you, you start with like five to narrow it down to one and, and you, you end up with 15 instead of <laughs> one. So, so it's a good problem to have, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Man. So, and then I, well, how long have you been, has your lab been going? How long have you been working on this stuff? I'm, I'm hitting 20 years now. 20 years. Nice. Yeah. Oh, I just pain, a little pain in my back. Cause I said, <laughs> shoots up the spine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah no, I've, yeah. I've been doing this for 20 years. It's an, like, since I got my own lab here at Purdue. Yeah. Yeah. So how does, I mean, if you're, I don't know if you're even allowed to talk about this, but how does that work with, um, working at Purdue, do they like fund you and then, you know, own part of this stuff or how does that all work? Yeah. So, so Purdue's a large research university. So the way it works here is pretty typical of how it would work at most large research universities in the United States. So basically um, they give me the lab, but I have to go outside to get the money to bring in, to run the lab. Uh So, yeah. So, I, I'm sort of a revenue stream for the university. <laughs> um, I also teach. We're all talking about research, but of course I teach as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the Almost all the money that I get to run the lab has to come from the federal funding agency. So National Science Foundation or National Institutes of Health, or in our case, um, the Office of Naval Research has been really good about funding our lab. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's the biggest sort of stressor is trying to find money because as you probably know funding for research is not <clears throat> not exactly plentiful these days mm-hmm. um, from the federal government. You can also get industrial support for for research. That's I find that to be a little bit trickier to get. But anyway, so so we get hopefully we we can continue to get funding externally for to run our lab, and then uh, we develop new technologies and. The university and I and the students who develop the technologies in our lab, we all sort of have ownership to it. I guess, I guess officially and technically the university owns everything, but if money actually starts changing hands, we get part of it as inventors. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. And th- so the university pays for the 
uh, for the patenting. Mm-hmm. And then, and they've been giving us a lab and the infrastructure here and stuff like that. So then they get big chunks of any money that would come in. Um, but they also provide some support in, in getting all things to happen. So if, a, so if a company says, hey, I like that, I want to you know, license it in our company or in a product or something, or, or I want to sell it as a product, then the university has a tech transfer office that um, facilitates all of that. Okay. So, I see. They, yeah. they help yeah. you out and you help. Okay. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It makes sense. So, so it's good. It's a good, it's a good setup. I don't know. I think, I think Purdue might be better than the average place in this regard these days, but it's, it's mm-hmm. pretty straightforward and, and work generally works out really well. Good. Cool. Yeah. I was just curious how that all worked. Yeah. 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 Man. Dude, John, this is awesome. We've been going for like an hour and 20 minutes. This is crazy. Yeah. I was like, you got to cut this down to like three. No one's going to listen to this for this long. <laughs> no, it's so interesting. Once you really get into it, I love it. I was like, man, well, maybe we'll do half hour or something. But this, there's so much good stuff here. It's so fun. Well, good, good. All right. I'm glad you think so. Because, yeah, I, I, I definitely think so. Yeah, love it. Um, so... I guess, can we, is there anywhere people can go or anything they can do to learn more about this and more about what you're doing? Uh, let's see. So, yeah, I, I'm not the biggest social media guy, but we, we have a, we have a lab website. So if you, if you just Google my name, Jonathan Wilker and Purdue, it's P-U-R-D-U-E, you'll probably find stuff. Um, we have a talk that's on TED.com that came up this year. Uh, that's a sort of a video overview of mm-hmm. what we do. So if you just type my name into the Ted search box or probably probably comes up on Google. I would imagine um, we have started a lab Twitter feed a little while ago. Oh shoot. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't even know. What's, I think it's Wilker lab Purdue, I think is what it is. Okay. I'm obviously not a big Twitter guy. <laughs> I'm, about to, I'm about to look it up right now. It's a, okay. uh, yeah, it's at Wilker lab Purdue. Yeah. That's what it is. Okay. <laughs> they have like, Two followers, and I think they're both my mom. <laughs> <laughs> well, different accounts. Yeah, maybe we'll get it up to four now. <laughs> yeah, right. oh, excellent, excellent. <laughs> uh, perfect. No, I'll throw um, links to the, your to your website, the uh, Twitter, and that TED Talk too. That's really good to check out. Super, excellent. So people can check that all stuff out. So sweet, Jonathan. I mean, is there? So just kind of wrapping it up, I guess. Is there? Do you have like a a main? you know, overarching goal or achievement you want to hit with all this? Yeah, I, I just, we kind of want to understand how nature makes materials and then, then we want to transition that knowledge into making products that could, you know, impact the marketplace and, you know, make the world a better place. You know, the biomedical adhesives are less tox, less toxins in the materials all around us. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't that be cool? That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Yeah. That yeah. would be awesome. So yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, that's all I want. <laughs> that in world peace. Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, sweet. I love it. Cool, man. Well, yeah, I mean, just hearing this stuff, it's so interesting how you're kind of started it all and then hearing all the applications too. It's pretty exciting. So really, really cool. glad to meet you and hear about all this stuff. So, so thanks. John. Oh, I appreciate it. No, thanks. Thanks so much for having, having, yeah, and I, I appreciate that, and um, nice to nice to chat with you, and and I appreciate the, the interest. It's yeah, cool. of course, cool. Well, I mean, enjoy your weekend, and uh, good luck. Have a good one, right? You too. Thanks. Take care. All right. You too. Bye. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> 
See, I told you it was interesting, right? You liked it. Jonathan is awesome. Thank you for being on the show, Jonathan. Learned a lot. Hope you did too. And, uh, you know, if you guys like this episode, I just want to ask you to share it uh, with your friends or family. Word of mouth is great. You can share it on social media if you're so inclined to share it with all your uh, virtual friends. Uh, that super helps out the show and um, gets us more exposure. Exposure. So I really help. I really appreciate any uh, help and, and stuff like that. So uh, we're on Instagram, uh, Curiosityness Podcast on there. I'm on Facebook, Curiosityness. I'm on uh, Twitter. I'm on a website. I'm on the interweb. So, uh, yeah, that's it. And, you know, if you have any feedback or or uh, want to share anything, send me an email, Travis at curiosityness.com or, or send me, uh, you know, give me a comment or something on uh, social media. Again, if you want to share this stuff, just tag me on social media. I'll pick it up. I'll thank you publicly and everything. So that really helps us out. Uh, but that's it. Thanks again to Jonathan. And thank you to being Thank you to you for being here at the end and listening all the way through this and uh, supporting. So thanks. Goodbye.